This interview was brought to you by the Center for Leadership in Athletics at the University of Washington, an academic and research center within the College of Education. At the center, we believe in the power of sport to positively shape people and communities and are committed to developing effective leaders and leadership practices that maximize the positive educational impact of athletics. The center offers coach development opportunities for all levels of sport coaches, including a graduate degree program, the Excel Sports Coaching Certificate, and customized organizational trainings, all derived from the center's research, including the Ambitious Coaching Project. To learn more, visit uwcla.uw.edu. Welcome, coaches. Thank you for joining us for this Excel webinar, Bridge Building and Shared Responsibility, where we're going to look at the coach-parent relationship. I'm here with Dr. Julie McCleary from the University of Washington's Center for Leadership in Athletics. Dr. McCleary has over 25 years' experience as an educator, coach, and youth sports advocate. Julie currently teaches coaching philosophy and pedagogy in the Intercollegiate Athletic Leadership's Master of Education Coaching Degree Program and also teaches the Excel Coaching Education Certificate Program that was just launched this year. Julie has been the principal investigator for the Center for Leadership's Ambitious Coaching Research Project, which has worked to identify and explore 15 core practices of highly effective coaches, or what they deem ambitious coaches. Julie, your experience ranges from having coached with the U.S. national team for rowing to coaching youth baseball. And so that our listeners have a sense of who you are, because I think this is a really unique aspect of your coaching history, you taught yourself how to coach baseball so that you could step in and fill that need for your son's youth team. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right, Marcia. I, I did manage to translate my experience coaching rowing and basketball, sports that I played, into coaching baseball, a sport that I never played. And I would say that coaching baseball to kids for five years probably taught me more about coaching than 20 years of coaching rowing because it was like writing with my non-dominant hand. I had to think so carefully about everything I was doing. Uh, when you coach your own sport, it's more intuitive, but coaching a new sport is really an opportunity for growth of your coaching practice. Well, Julie, we appreciate your being here today, and we're excited to dive into this topic with you, knowing that not only are you an expert in the field, but you've been on the field, so to speak. You've, you've been in the shoes of many of our listeners. I do have experience on both sides of the coin. I have three boys who play many sports, and I have a wide range of experience with their coaches and their coaches managing of parents. I've also coached in high school and in recreational settings where I've worked with parents closely and probably faced a lot of the same struggles that our coaches face. Um, that, coupled with my research on the topic, I hope gives me a, well, a relatively well-rounded view. So hopefully I can present a balanced perspective on what I think is a relatively hot topic. Well, how do you want to get started today, Julie? Um, I'm going to start by making the assumption that all of the coaches listening have had an interaction with the parent of an athlete that you wish had gone differently or maybe made you uneasy. So before I ask you all to recall it, I want to say that the reason I want you to recall it is that I try to think about every moment of our coaching as a rehearsal, right? We, we tried something out and then we have an opportunity to look at it and think about how we might do it differently the next time to keep growing. So I'll give you time to think about one of those moments involving a parent that was uncomfortable or difficult in some way. Take just about 30 seconds.
now that you have yours in mind, maybe just jot down a note about what happened and try to just think about one way you could refine your approach, either leading up to it or during the interaction. The one I'm thinking of for me was one of the few times in, I would say, the last two decades, honestly, that I was confronted angrily by a parent right after a baseball game. Um, the scenario was that our team was playing in the playoffs. These are, gosh, 10-year-olds, I think. It was 10-year-olds. The fact that we even have playoffs is a little bit problematic. <laughs> but nonetheless, we were in playoffs. And um, I try to give people even playing time. But what happens in Little League Baseball is if you're up by 10 runs or more after four innings, the game gets cut short. So a kid was playing for only two of those innings of the four and then didn't get any more innings after that. And the parent saw this as very problematic and sprinted after me um, <laughs> to tell me that he was angry that his kid had only played two innings, um, which I which I, I understood. Um, and in the moment, I think I didn't handle it maybe as well as I could ha could have because the situation was that we had won the game by a lot and the innings were cut short, and I thought that that was sort of obvious to the parent, but it wasn't. Um, so when I look back on that as an opportunity for growth, it makes me think of what I might have done differently, and I, I think about that in three main areas. So I should have done just a better job of making parents my allies by developing shared expectations and clearly they didn't know about the, the game shortening, and so I hadn't done my job there, and I, I should have been able to educate them around that so that we understood that the rules were a little bit different and that playing time, therefore, might be different. And if I had done that more proactively instead of having to do it after the game, I think that might have gone better. I appreciate this model of rehearse, reflect, and then refine. And when I look back on my own coaching experiences that I wish had gone differently, thinking about it in those terms, it helps to take the sting out of it a little bit and helps me focus on my own growth as a coach. Yeah, I, I agree. That's why I think it, this rehearse, reflect, and refine model and language is something that we can really apply to all pieces of coaching development. And I think it's harder to think about using that when it's around parents and parent communication because that can be such a tension-filled area or topic but really it's the same we're, we're trying to you know continually grow and get better and every opportunity and every interaction we have for parents is a, a chance to do that well julie as we refine the way we operate with parents of the athletes we coach you referenced a few specific strategies that we can focus on yeah i, I will definitely dive into those specific strategies but first being something of a context and framework person. I'm going to do those, give those strategies of education, allyship, and proactive communication, some context before we, before we dive into them. Um, so one of the pieces of context is that one of the foundational elements are, of our Excel coursework is the core practices of ambitious coaches. And there are 15 of those core practices. And those who have been through our training will be familiar with them. And I want to start with this because I want to mention why working with parents is not on our list of core practices. Importantly, it's not because we think it's not a vital piece of coaching. We know that it's something that coaches struggle with, and it's something that can really get in the way of being able to coach ambitiously. 
But the core practices came from research that included coaches from who were coaching elementary age through college age kids um, and a variety of different program types from more elite to more recreational. So these coaches, through the research, were unable to come to agreement on how we could define the core practice of working with parents. Working with parents of six-year-olds and the parents of college students is just so different that we couldn't find a middle ground that resonated with everyone. Further, we couldn't make the assumption that working with parents was solely about managing over-involved parents, for example, because some people work uh, in coaching programs where the opposite is true, where engaging parents and supporting youth is more of an issue. So all of that is to say that it's, it's tricky to find a middle ground on working with parents that covers all context, and today I'm going to do my best to try to carve that out a little bit. And then I'm also going to try to carve out some common ground for coaches and parents together and talk about how they both have an interest in and responsibility to the student-athletes. And I'm assuming this step toward finding common ground is what will eventually lead to the bridge building between parents and coaches. Absolutely. That that first thing, that common element, um, the thing that both groups, parents and coaches, are trying to connect about are the kids. So let's start with that. Um, A tool that we have found useful for this conversation is what we are calling an athlete bill of rights. So this bill of rights gives us, parents and coaches, a space for agreement, a starting point in our work together, as I think it's pretty easy for us to agree on the elements of this bill of rights, which essentially is that every youth sports participant has the right to a physically safe environment, an emotionally safe environment, where they receive fundamentally sound, developmentally appropriate, growth-oriented sports training. And just to go back, physically safe means that it's prevention-oriented and hazard-free, and emotionally safe means that there's a sense of belonging, engagement, and, and respect for the, for the child, for the athlete. So we think this Bill of Rights is important for a few reasons. First, we all need to agree that kids have basic rights and that both parents and coaches are responsible for making sure they're being met. When you, as a coach, think about parents' interests in that regard, a lot of parent behavior, not all, but a lot of it makes more sense. And honestly, you can't fault parents for being worried about the basic safety of their kids. It's a bit of a frightening time in youth sports where overuse injuries are at epidemic levels, Sexual assault and sexual predation of athletes is in the news. Abusive coaches and abusive coaching practices are often featured really prominently. And there's just a growing awareness of the dangers of concussion and and sub-concussive injury. Yeah, these are heavy and scary issues that we're seeing and hearing a lot about in the media in recent years. Do you think that most parents come into youth sports programs worried about these issues? I imagine parents don't have these necessarily in the forefront of their minds, but this is the youth sports culture we're in. And frankly, I tell parents that they don't ask enough questions about the program policies, procedures, and protections for their athletes before they enroll in programs. And that's a part of their bridge building work. So they really should know as much about a program as possible before enrolling. Are there safety procedures? Do they have safe sport policies? If not, that's not a program they should enroll their kids in, or at the very least, they should be asking those questions of the the program directors. And, you know, I know this isn't the job of the coaches in, in our program or the coaches who are listening, 
they have administrators and program directors who manage those policies and procedures. But it's also in the coach's best interest to know what procedures and policies are in place to protect youth. Um, that's one piece of common ground parents and coaches have from the beginning is this central common understanding of how this particular program or team is structured to protect kids. Yeah, we as coaches really have to take ownership to make sure that we're creating and fostering a safe environment where young athletes can thrive. Um, so let's talk about that thriving end of the spectrum, because that's ultimately what we want for kids, right? Right. Yeah, of course. Once an athlete is enrolled, the job of the coach and the parent together is to create a fun, enjoyable, growth-oriented experience, not just avoid problems and protect kids, but to actually help them thrive. And to do that, there needs to be a true partnership of, of common ground. So, Julie, this all makes sense, uh, but I have to ask because everyone has such busy lives. Coaches, the athletes, and the parents we're working with, we're already pressed to fit all the things in that we want to fit into a practice session. I can see where some coaches might feel like there's just not enough time for all of this and or that it might even fall beyond the scope of their role with the athletes. Yeah, that that's fair. I can understand why coaches might think that. And and honestly, my kids have been a part of programs that take a more hands off approach. And I I totally understand that from a coach's point of view. When you open lines of communication with parents, it can be overwhelming. And suddenly, you know, one off parent phone calls and complaints can take up a lot of time or a few overzealous or problematic parents can really wreak havoc on your program. So it's easier in some ways to just insulate from parents and keep them at that keep them at arm's length. Ultimately, I just don't think that that's going to be an effective strategy in the long run because coaches really do need parents. Um, speak to that a little more. What, what do you mean by coaches needing parents? Well, a, a few things. Coaches and the team are far from the only variable in the student-athlete's life that impacts her sport experiences, sport experience, and coaches know that. But depending on the age of the child, the other people who have the most control over all the other variables are the athlete's parents. So ultimately, research suggests that parents play a major role in how the sporting experience evolves for the athlete over time. So if we ignore the role of parents, all of our work as ambitious coaches might not have the same impact for the athlete that we would hope. Can you provide a little more framework around that idea? Sure. I'll start with one that's more logistical in nature and then talk about some more relational elements of parental influence. Um, researchers and authors, Veely and Chase, who have a, a great book called Best Practices for Youth Sport, call these the three M's of sports parenting roles. So there's the manager, the model, and the meaning maker. Uh, the logistical role is that of manager. So it's important to remember that up to at least age 18, parents have control of kids' schedules, finances, transportation, sleep habits, time management, etc. Obviously, as athletes get older, they have more control over their own schedules. But, but until an athlete is driving his own car to a practice that no one else has paid for, parents are to some degree involved. To ignore this fact is, first off, somewhat disrespectful to parents who have probably made some degree of sacrifice to help get the child there in the first place, and two, detrimental to your ability to best serve your athletes. If you need athletes to be there on time, have the appropriate equipment, get enough sleep, etc., it's the parents you need to be setting those expectations with. Um, on, on some, you know, a related side note, one of the things I liked the least as a parent was when athletes would be punished for being late 
when the parent is the one responsible for transportation. One time when a coach was about to make my 10-year-old run because I was late, I walked over to the coach and said that my kid had been ready on time and I was late because I had a meeting run late and that I would be happy to take a lap if he wanted me. He wanted <laughs> how, me to. How did that coach respond to that? Well, he got my point and he said it was fine. No one, no one had to run. <laughs> Um, so what I'm hearing is that the first step to bridge building with parents is for us as coaches to make sure we're respecting the parents' perspective and making sure we're aware of the challenges parents face as managers of their children's lives. Exactly. In, in this current hyper-competitive world of youth sports, athletes and therefore families are asked to do some things that are difficult and really taxing for families. I mean, for example, asking a family to get a kid to a game at a 5 o'clock on a Friday evening that is any distance away from home is a major challenge. Someone has to leave work early to make that happen, right? And coaches and programs need to be willing to recognize that impact, especially on families for whom taking off work is just not a feasible option. So while it is the parent's responsibility to manage logistics, part of bridge building is for coaches to recognize and name the specific logistical components of those parental expectations. It also recognize the extent to which those responsibilities might be too heavy a load for some families and offer support and recognition of what that entails and absolutely do not take it for granted. Um, being able to get parent cooperation around those logistics is really essential to a smooth running team. On my baseball team, for example, that meant there, there was a kid who I had to pick up for practice every day. His parents were divorced, both worked, he wanted to play, but things were a little too chaotic for him to be able to manage the dual household part at 11 years old. So I picked him up, we kept an extra set of gear around for him in case he had left his glove or batting helmet at the, at the other house. So as coaches, we, we have to take a step back and zoom out and see the big picture life demands that our athletes and their families are facing and make sure that we're setting and openly communicating expectations that are reasonable and fair. Um, how about the other two M's that you referenced? Yeah, I'll spend a minute on both model and, and meaning maker so coaches can see how vital they are around building bridges with parents. Modeling means, as it sounds, setting standards in the home for imitation or comparison when it comes to physical activity and sports participation and behavior in general. So if parents are modeling critiquing the coaches at home, then that might be something kids pick up on. If parents are modeling enjoying physical activity and recreation for fun and friendship, kids will also pick up on that. But the third M is really where coaches and parents can work together to have profound impact, and that is around meaning-making. And Coaches, it's really important to remember that parents are the sounding board for everything that happens in practice and in competition. Once a coach has debriefed a team, it's time for the car ride home. And I'm sure many of you have heard that the car ride home can make or break experiences for kids in, in sports. If during that time parents are making meaning of the game by critiquing the kid or dissecting the game, they may be making meaning that the coach doesn't intend or want or isn't at all helpful to the engaged feedback and positively framed messages that the coach wanted to leave the, the team with. If instead a parent is making meaning by letting the athletes process the emotional elements of the experience, how did you feel, what was fun, what was difficult, then they're playing a supportive meaning-making role. So with, with parents as allies, the, parent, the coaches and parents can really work together to um, figure out what role you can each play in helping athletes make meaning of their sports experience. 
And for all this to work, we need to be having conversations with parents and families early on in the season or even before the season begins to make sure we're on the same page about what it is we want athletes to be learning. Um, And those big picture learnings, I'm assuming you're talking about something bigger than X's and O's here, right? Like It sounds like you're talking more about the social emotional growth of young athletes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The Positive Coaching Alliance calls coaches double goal coaches because in their framework, Coaches should be paying attention to those sports goals, those X's and O's goals, as well as life skills and character building goals. But then they call parents second goal parents because, honestly, the role of the parent is really around that life skills piece. So if sports going to translate into some of the important life lessons we all as coaches hope it will around resilience or cooperation, parents need to help make that meaning, too. Okay, well, let's flip this and look at it from the other side. How is it that parents need coaches? Coaches need parents to reinforce the big-picture learnings, particularly when it comes to the social-emotional growth of athletes. And parents need coaches because coaches are the experts. And I don't just mean that in terms of sport knowledge. I mean that with regard to youth sports in general. Because there are so many elements of sport that parents are not well-versed in. They may think they're well-versed in, but they're probably not as well-versed as they think. And educating them about what science and experience tells us about best practice can help really bring them onto your side as a coach. So what are some examples of best practices or areas where coaches can help parents? I have uh, two examples in mind. First, if we think about the notion of meaning-making we discussed above, parents just might not know how important their um, emotional support role is. Um, So one thing that a coach might think about is, in this vein, is yelling from the sidelines. This is an ongoing struggle in a lot of programs. And I think if we can help parents understand how difficult it is to process information during times of stress for both adults and kids, that that might be a different lens on the yelling situation. I mean, sometimes we just want parents to behave, and so we ask them to not do something. But if we can talk about how difficult it is for kids to just cognitively process what they're saying, then that might just give them a different framework. Or if we can talk possibly about how games or competition really are an opportunity for athletes to try out what they know independently and creatively, and that instruction can intrude on that, Um, then I I think that's just maybe a way that, that parents haven't thought about these issues before. You know, coaches telling parents that they want kids to be sort of in a more intuitive state because we actually perform better when we let our subconscious takes over is, is probably not something a lot of coaches have a, a chance to tell parents, but I think as a parent, you would think, okay, I get that. We want the kid to be out there just doing what they know how to do, and then we can debrief it later, and, and yelling gets in the way of that. Another example is long-term athlete development. Coaches can really help their athletes by educating parents on important ideas like physical literacy, sports sampling, and developmental approaches to training. Parents can really get caught up in the fear of missing out. Like, I think my kids should be doing this because all the other kids are doing this. And if you can offer a balance point to this kind of parental pressure by helping them understand the long-term perspective, I I think it could really be a benefit for both the athlete and the parent. 
So helping the parent zoom out a little bit, and I really like the point you made about processing time and helping the parents understand that um, even if it's not stressful, if kids are learning something new, it takes a long time to process that and then to be able to execute, execute new skills. And then you add the stress of a, of a game environment and, and competition, and um, yeah, it, it, can, it can take a while. So I like that you touched on that. Let's take a moment to look back on the strategies you mentioned earlier. How do these specific strategies facilitate the bridge building between coaches and parents? Yeah, so I, I hope that given kind of all this context, um, those strategies make more sense. And so, again, the strategies that I'm suggesting are promoting allyship by developing shared expectations and delineating responsibilities kind of around the Athlete Bill of Rights, and then also educating parents and doing both of those things proactively, so proactively communicating. And I'm going to add a fourth because that's what <laughs> okay. I like to do is add things on, which is allowing room for interventions, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. I really think that first of those strategies, promoting allyship, is the most important, and that we do that through the other two strategies of education and, and proactive communication. So as coaches, you need to plan to bridge build with parents the same way you would plan for every other part of your program. Consider where you are starting, what do parents know about the program, about youth sports, about how to support their kids, and where do you want them to be by the end of the season or the year. So set goals for how you'll get there and then proactively initiate communications through meetings, emails, activities that put the youth athletes at the center of everything you're going to do and talk about. Do you ask uh, parents ahead of time what kind of communication they prefer? Like you said you use email, in person, et cetera. Do you, do you ask or do you just make sure that you're using a variety of different communication methods? I think probably a variety is good, but I think it also depends on your context. For example, I know like in, in school settings, meetings are going to be less common because kids might be going to sports like right after school and then taking the bus home, whereas in more um, – kind of recreational settings, the parents might be there, pick, you know, dropping off and picking up. So there might be opportunity for more face-to-face. And so I, I think it can vary by context, but I know a lot of coaches who, you know, send a weekly parent email. And if, you know, if that's something that the families in your program will, will open and read through, I think that's, that's probably a great way to stay in contact. And a lot of sport programs talk about the importance of giving parents specific roles like team manager or providing snacks for the athletes. How does that relate to what you're talking about? So I think those strategies are fine, but I don't think that we can pretend that bringing oranges each week is really building a bridge towards allyship. Uh, That might not be a popular opinion, but uh, ultimately, if you need parent help for logistical items, then ask them for help around those items. But I almost keep that separate from the kind of conversations where you say, here's the experience I want your kid to have this season, and this is the help I need from you as the manager and meaning maker for your child. Honor their importance in their, their child's life and honor the shared goals you have for the child to have a safe, fun, awesome experience, and then educate them about how they can help you do that. Yeah, I can definitely see how taking the time to make sure parents feel involved in a meaningful way will do more than just strengthen the coach-parent relationship. It's, it will also magnify the positive impact that we all have on the young athletes we're working with. So, Julie, this all makes sense, and we've talked about being proactive in our communication with the parents, uh, the importance of setting expectations early on, clearly communicating those expectations with parents, 
giving parents meaningful roles and reinforcing that we value and respect their role in all this. What do you suggest, though, when challenges come up at some point in the season that we couldn't have foreseen or communicated about in advance? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think it's important to say to parents that we're laying all of this groundwork so that hopefully big issues won't arise. But big issues might arise on, on either side from the, the parent point of view or the coach's point of view. And it's also just super important to say that if either side, if either parent or coach become concerned about the athlete from a bill of rights perspective, from a physical or emotional health perspective, we can intervene and here's how we're going to do it. So, for example, if a parent thinks a child is being bullied or is coming home from practice every day crying, that parent absolutely has a right to be in touch with you and and you need to let parents know kind of how you want that to happen. Um, Similarly, and, and this is a part that I don't know that coaches do enough if a parent is dropping off a kid at practice every day who seems to be struggling for example with like an untreated injury the coach can also intervene with the parent and and call them up and say hey this is something that i'm concerned about again from this agreed upon bill of rights that the athlete you know can needs to be physically and emotionally safe how do we do that in a way that doesn't put parents on the defensive? And I'll use an experience I had last weekend as an example. I was at a cycling race where a young junior athlete was racing in the top women's field, which is a really big deal. And this young athlete was racing against women who were older, much more experienced, which had to have taken a lot of courage. And I'd I'd never seen her racing in this field before, so I have to assume that she just made the jump in category and was doing one of her first races in that new, more competitive field. And she's she's holding around in the middle of the pack, and then I could hear one of the parents, well, one of her parents, yelling from the sidelines. And all the parent was saying was was related to her placement and specifically pointing out that she had just drifted back one position. You could see the impact that this had on the athlete, and you could see that it was deflating to her. And the thing of it is, I think that parent really thought she was being supportive. I mean, she's there for the race. She's cheering from the sidelines. I doubt she had any awareness that the way she was cheering was defeating to this young athlete. And I don't even know this athlete, but I wanted to go to her defense and say to the parent, like, don't you understand what a big deal this is for her to jump into this elite field? And don't you see how much courage that took? And that she just needs time to adapt to the speed of the field. And, of course, I didn't do that. But as coaches, we develop strong relationships with our athletes, and we want to protect them. But is that our place to address a parent who, for the most part, is supporting their child? I mean, they're creating opportunities for them to participate, shuttling them to events and practices. They're paying for them to be there. Um, how is that our place to essentially be telling someone how to parent? And how do we even approach this conversation when a parent's approach is just not aligned with our own? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's such a good question. And I see that kind of thing all the time. And I sometimes secretly videotape coaches and parents behaving badly. I can't really do anything with them. But I do. I get so sad seeing well-intentioned people scream or say demeaning things or things that just really aren't even helpful in in the moment. Um but in for that particular situation, situations like that, I guess I would say somewhat idealistically, what would have been great there is that the coach would have been proactive with the parents and the parents would have had the framing of like, this is an amazing opportunity for this athlete. And, you know, this is what we're looking for and hoping for from her in this. And 
you know, maybe they had that conversation. We don't know. But ideally, you wouldn't get to that point in the first place where the, the parent is saying the, the slightly demeaning things. But if you do get to this point, I guess I think it might depend on a lot of things, which isn't a great answer. But it definitely depends on the age of the athlete. So from this example, the athlete seems older. So talking directly to the athlete to counteract this messaging would be a good place to start. But then I would say if it becomes a pattern, um, I think it's absolutely the kind of thing that warrants an intervention, a direct conversation with this parent. If it's a pattern that's compromising the emotional health of this athlete, I think a, a coach would have a right to a, a, approach the parent from that from that vantage point. But again, already having had that touchstone of the athlete bill of rights to say this is where my concern is coming from is a very different place than than saying, like, I don't like how you're parenting, right? It's sort of the athletes at the center. We agreed that this was our concern, and so I'm approaching you about this now. Okay, that that makes sense. Do you think, though, that that might feel a little daunting for a young coach or a new coach or a coach who hasn't yet really gotten to know the parents? Yeah, I I think, again, that that's another really good point, and that, yeah, as I was saying all this, I realize it's probably a lot easier for me to think about this as both a parent and having coached for, you know, over 20 years. Um, and even then, I, I can see where it could come off as preachy or pedantic to, to intervene. But I think there are ways that it doesn't have to. But some specific ideas for younger coaches would be to hold the a meeting using the Bill of Rights as the centerpiece, but then ask parents to add on with information about the kind of experience they would like their child to have um, in the program. And I've done that before. And nobody ever tells you that why their kid is there is to win every game, right? Or to, they, I mean, they may be thinking that in the back of their minds, but what they're going to write down is the, the piece about making friends. And, and so their own words can help us sort of keep them oriented to the things that they ultimately think are most important. And maybe even to collect athlete information about the kind of experience they would like to have, collect that as a, as a touchstone that you can return to as a point of agreement for what's important to the team culture you're trying to build. And I, I've actually never done that, but I, I wonder what would happen if you asked the athletes to brainstorm a list of what they feel like they need from their parents to have a successful season and then use that along with the Bill of Rights as an agreed-upon benchmark. So, you know, that sort of takes it out of your hands as a as a coach. It's not just your ideas about what we're trying to build here, but the athletes' ideas and the parents' ideas as well that become that, that cornerstone for the bridge building. Well, I like that image of both the coach and parent sitting down together and having that athlete Bill of Rights as a centerpiece. Um, I can see how that would help keep both sides focused on the positive outcomes we're working toward for the athletes and how it could serve as a bridge builder. So I, I see how this applies in cases where parents have the time and capability to be involved throughout the season. How about situations where parents aren't as able to have these conversations, uh, maybe single parent homes, for example, or homes where parents are working late and they're just not able to be as physically present in the athlete's experience? Yeah, that's I think that's an important point. I, I do think that using the rights of the athletes as a centerpiece works in, in all contexts. What I think is going to be different is how, when, and where you're able to proactively communicate with parents about it. So a parent meeting might not be that well attended in, in all cases. 
But I would add that parents always have to sign kids up and sign medical and concussion waivers in Washington State anyway to participate in sports. So if parental engagement is harder, I would work with your program director or athletic director to have that paperwork turned in in person and have parent conversations then, even even if you have to have multiple conversations at different times in the day to accommodate parents' schedules. I think that face-to-face meeting is is necessary. You could have your bill of rights and the parent information included in that paperwork, have it translated if necessary for your parent population. I think it takes some creativity, but I think we need to just not give up on the fact that, you know, you can't have this big, you know, one-off parent meeting, so therefore we're not going to do it, but get creative about how you can reach parents. So investing that time early on um, will allow us to focus our energy on coaching and less energy on putting out fires throughout the season, I'm betting. That's what we hope. (laughs) And I like the idea of presenting the Bill of Rights early on up front, maybe even before the season starts, so that we have that to fall back on and revisit if any tense situations arise during the season. These are great tools to use. Julie, I appreciate that you're giving us a balanced perspective on all this and helping us see through both the coaches and the parents' lens. And we're, we're just about out of time, but before we wrap up today, I want to take a few minutes to summarize the key points and strategies you talked about so that coaches have some key takeaways from our conversation today. Sure. I think we started with this notion of rehearse, reflect, and refine and I would always come back to that and even if everything doesn't go exactly as you would like just look at it as an opportunity to get better and that's true in in this parent coach relationship piece as well as all other aspects of your coaching and then I think coaches having awareness and respect for the three M's for manager, model, and particularly meaning maker of the parent role, I think just gives an orientation to coaches that can really help them build a better relationship with with parents. Then lastly, kind of just being proactive in the same way that you're proactive with how you want to build your team culture and how you want to train as a team you know, make a plan, proactively communicate with your families, with the Bill of Rights at the center, or with their own their own words and their own brainstorms about what they want to see for the season at the center, and then build off of that to where you want to be as a, a team, parents, athletes, and coaches by the end of the season. And then, you know, lastly, with all of this in place, there are still bound to be some issues and, and things are going to come up, but this foundation should just, just give you a better space to work from when things do arise with parents that, that you need to attend to. So be proactive, but always be willing to be flexible. Of course. <laughs> Julie, I want to thank you for being here with us today. And I also want to thank our sound team for keeping things running smoothly for us during the conversation. And of course, thank you to our listeners For Excel students, there will be a corresponding assignment so that you all have an opportunity to apply what you learned here today to your own athlete audience. Thanks, everyone, for being with us.